0: Don?
1: Yes, oh. got it. Hi everybody, my name is Don C. Uh, the topic of this workshop is steps six, seven, eight, and nine. I'm one of the speakers for the workshop. The other speaker is Tara. This session will be interpreted simultaneously into French. If you require interpretation, please click on the interpretation symbol and choose French. Shall we begin with the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The workshop format is two speakers for 20 minutes each, and then the floor will be open for a question and answer session. The audio audio of this session is being recorded and will not be edited. Please note that this session will be available online or as a podcast feed. Anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. If you share, you have given consent to be recorded. Please do not share if you do not want to be recorded. Here's some Zoom information. Attendees are automatically muted. We ask that you keep what you see and hear here confidential and that there be no recordings or screen captures. Please respect the anonymity of all who attend. Please stop your video if you're walking around having side conversations or eating. If you want to change your view settings, click on the view button on the top right of your screen. You may choose either gallery or speaker view. We ask you to rename yourself to first name and last initial. Feel free to add your state, province, or country. Also, please note that chat is set to host only until the speakers are finished. Please send ask it basket questions to the co host who's the QA moderator. So I think On the bottom of the screen, there's probably a QA and a button. So with that, uh, Tara is going to be, is going to go first. So I would like to, not Tara, (laughs) Kara. So she's going to be first. So I would like to introduce Kara P. Is it Tara? Kara, why do I do that? Tara with
2: Tara with a T, like gone with the wind. Yes, thank you. My name is Tara. I'm a compulsive overeater and a food addict. Thank you all for being here today and for everybody who is doing service for this convention. Um, So very quickly, I believe I began my compulsive overeating at the age of perhaps seven years old. And I was a compulsive overeater and overweight until uh, I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous in uh, Nassau County, Long Island in October of 2016. Uh, I have just now over four years of abstinence in this go around of program, and I am maintaining a 40 pound weight loss. I have a home group, I have a sponsor, and I have two sponsees who I work the 12 steps with. Uh, And most importantly, I have a power greater than myself today, which is not food. So I know that the topic of this workshop is steps six through nine. I will very quickly say that it is in working steps four and five that I learned what my defects of character were. And in doing those, that inventory and looking at myself and then having to become honest with myself, another human being who in my case was my sponsor and with my higher power who I call God, I was able to uncover things about myself uh, that I can now see were leading me to eat and leading me to believe that food was my higher power instead of the higher power that I choose to call God today. My defects of character uh, were things that uh, once I looked at on paper and turned over to that other person and God, as we learn in step five. They're not great things. They don't make me feel very good. But for so much of my life, I was using them to cope with the world and life on life's terms. Because as I always say, it was not until I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous and another 12-step fellowship that I've been uh, abstinent in for now over 10 years that I had the blueprint to life that I had a plan or a way to live life. Up until then, I was living very much in self-will and on self-reliance. I believed that I had to choose and I had to fix everything in my own brain. And nine times out of 10, the solution was pick up a substance, pick up food, stuff it down, avoid and act out in what I now call and recognize as these character defects. So when I got to step six, it it asks me to become entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. And so the first few times I've worked this step, I saw that I had to list out what those defects were. And I put down things like, gossiping. I put down things like selfishness. I put down things like anger, irritation, impatience, all of these ways that I behave and perceive and move within the world when I am in my disease, when I'm in my ism, when I am, am sick and suffering. And to be very honest with you, There were some of those defects that were so ingrained into my personality and to who I believed I was, that I was not entirely ready to have God remove those. And also, to be quite honest, there were some defects I did not even know I had. And because this is a lifelong journey in working a step 10 and a step 11, further on in the program, over the years, like more is revealed. I can dig deeper and I can see certain things. And so even in this um, period of quarantine that we have all been in, some of these defects that have been so deeply ingrained in who I am revealed themselves to me in a way that I had never noticed before. So I've heard in a meeting recently that Step six and seven is a continuous journey and part of my process and in uncovering and discovering defects still within my abstinence years into program does not mean that I have done anything wrong or that I am bad at program. It means that I need to continue to rely on my higher power. And it's a way for me to remain connected to my higher power And develop that relationship further over time. It means that I am growing. It means that I am doing something right, which is what I tell my sponsees, um, because once I have more awareness around these defects and behaviors, uh, I can continue to ask God to remove them. So I had that first list of defects. Some of them I was very ready to get rid of because I did not want to live that way any longer. Much like when I was so desperate and I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I did not want to live in the food any longer. And so once I uncovered and understood what my defects of character were, I said, some of these, yep, I am ready. Uh, I do not want to have them. But it says in uh, our OA 12 and 12, and I have the first edition here, Um. It says that we are powerless over each of our defects of character, just as we are powerless over the food. It will be up to a power greater than ourselves to remove them from us. We can't do it alone. So, so much of this program is, is we, and that is not just we meaning me and you and our fellows and my sponsor but it's we me and my higher power and it also says here in this chapter that it is a spirit of willingness to change which is the essence of step six so i had that list and i i said okay I, I'm ready to to have God remove these defects of character. Um, and that's when we move into step seven. And I humbly ask my higher power to do that. And I love my sponsor because she has told me over and over and over again <laughs> uh, that for me to be humble, I have to stop holding myself to a standard that is the God standard. So again, for having these defects, that means that I am human. It means that I am right-sized in the world. And because I have to ask God to remove them from me, means that I have to stop playing God. I had to do that first in step three, when I made that decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And again, now in step seven, I'm saying, not only do I trust that you can take away the, the food obsession from me, but now all of these other parts of who I am that keep me sick and suffering, that cause me harm, and that cause harm to other people, I need your help, God, to remove these from me. And that's when uh, my, my humble request is in the form of a prayer. And I love the step seven prayer in the big book, because uh, it says, help, you know, remove these defects that I may be of maximum usefulness to you and to my fellows. And so as I get into clearing away the wreckage of my past, this is about being open and of maximum service to other people. Because so much of my disease keeps me isolated and separate from other people. And the beauty of the 12 steps is that in developing this relationship with a higher power, I am then able to to look people in the eye and to be a part of humanity and to be of service to other people. And so, yes, I ask God to remove those defects, both so that I can feel better (laughs) But ultimately, it's so that I can be of service to other people, that I am no longer living in my self-centeredness, that I'm not self-reliant and constantly thinking that I have to fix this and figure this all out on my own. And in asking God to do that, that frees me up. It takes me out of Tara. And it, it allows me to be here with you all and to be present to the people in my life, both my fellows in the rooms, my family, my friends, uh, my colleagues, everybody that I come into contact with. And so that blends very beautifully into step eight, which I appreciate is really just a list. (laughs) So it's a list of people who I believe that I had harmed. And I look back to my fourth step to start this list And some people who I didn't have a resentment against, I was able to recognize that I harmed. So I started with my fourth step list, but then I had to add some people to that as well. And um, again, because this is a WE program, I went over that list with my sponsor. Again, I don't have to, and I should not do any of this alone. (laughs) And I put the people that I believed I had harmed into three categories. Willing, meaning like willing right now to make that amends, maybe willing, and not at all willing. And I reviewed why I thought I harmed those people with my sponsor as well. And that was important because for me, I can, if I'm not humble and I'm thinking that I am the worst human being, you know, that ego in reverse that I'm like the lowest of the low. Um, I can take on too much responsibility for something. And my sponsor was able to help me navigate whether or not my perspective was right. And to say, yep, that is somebody that you had harmed. Or sometimes it was, nope, that's not a harm you caused. And instead the amends has to be to yourself and not to be in a position like that again. So it was very important for me to to review that list and, you know, um, again, God bless my sponsor for the people that I was maybe willing or not at all willing. She just said, pray for the willingness to be willing to be willing Like as many steps out from the willingness that I needed, just pray. And for the ones that I was willing, we moved forward and I started to make those amends. And I would write out a script, essentially, who it was, what the harm was that I had done. And I was able to take that responsibility from my fourth and fifth step and from learning what those defects were. And the beautiful thing about the amends process is that not only was I able to take responsibility for my part in those circumstances and those situations with folks, but I was then able to say how I was going to change. Because the amend is not just an apology, but it is how am I going to change and be different in this relationship or in this situation going forward? And again, that, that healed a lot of my underlying issues, which are uh, fear of people and an inability to form real relationships with people in the world. Because I was, hitting, I was hidden uh, for so many years behind the food. Um, and so in doing step nine, um, I was met with a lot of grace and it helped me to learn to forgive myself because as much as I wanted to beat myself up for some of these situations, most times people, uh, granted me forgiveness and we were able to move forward. In some situations that was not possible uh, and that's okay too, because I did the amend, you know, to keep my side of the street clean. And the freedom that comes from that is that if I walk into those peoples on the street today, if I bump into them on the street, I'm not crossing the street to dodge them, to get away from them. I'm not hiding to stay, you know, non-confrontational. I can look people in the eye today, whether or not we are friends or whether or not the situation is how I think it should be or would like it to be. It's the way that God sees fit. Sarah, you have five minutes. Thank you very much. And I can hold my head up and, and be of service uh, because I'm not then living in the obsessive repetition of these situations in the past. I can put my head on the pillow at the end of the night and sleep pretty well as far as those things are concerned. I have anxiety and worries about other things, but I'm no longer rehashing old arguments or or problems from 10, 15, 20 years ago. They are now at rest. And The amend as well had to come financially. I had stolen food um, in other people's homes and from other places uh, throughout the course of my eating career. And uh, so I I wasn't able to maybe write a check or quantify how much I was able to, to pay back to people. But for the first two years of my recovery, every week when I went grocery shopping, I would buy extra food and then donate it to the food pantry at my local church. And it was a way for me to then feed other people. uh, And I made sure that I bought food that was uh, healthy for them and that I was not stocking the food pantry with uh, foods that would have been my trigger foods, but foods that would nourish and, you know, uh, provide nutrition to people who, were falling on hard times. And so that then made me part of my community. And I was able to be of service to them in that way as well. Um, I've made financial donations um, to certain organizations for harms that I had caused people. Um, and, and all of that was me just putting forth more positive energy into the world than taking from people or be putting negative energy out into the world, which I did for many, many years while I was sick and suffering. And so, you know, step six through nine are really, in my view, um, the steps that keep me perpetually working on the causes and conditions of why I ate And help me to be a better person in the world around me and to be of maximum service to God's will for me and to my fellows in the rooms, in my family, in all of my affairs. Um, So I know I may be ending a couple of minutes early, but I don't want to ramble. So I want to thank you all for allowing me to be of service. And with that, I will hand it back over to Don.
1: Thank you very much, Tara. Very much. Okay, so I get my 20 minutes now, I may not take the full 20 minutes. And if it uh, looks like that I'm looking at a lot of notes, it's because I am, (laughs) because next month will be 80 years old for me. And it seems to take a little bit longer to pull that stuff out of my brain than it did five years ago or so. So anyway, uh, yes, I am looking at, at a lot of notes. So anyway, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Don. I am a compulsive overeater and food addict. I came to, the, uh, came to OA at age 41, suicidal, grossly obese, and a bitter, angry atheist. I came and I've never left. So I've been here 38 years plus now. This past June was 36 years of abstinence for me. Maintaining approximately 185 pound weight loss now for about 36 years. I was not struck abstinent. That first two years as I was losing nearly 200 pounds, I had long periods of no sugar, no refined carbs, three weighed and measured meals per day, nothing in between. Then I would get defiant telling myself, I can't be an addict. This is ridiculous. Whoever heard of food addiction? So I would fall off the horse for a day or two, then I would climb back on to my old structured food plan. The power to stay on the abstinence horse that would lead me eventually to freedom gradually came as I worked through the steps. So there was very much of a personality change, a major rebuilding of my thinking that would eventually take me to the place where I no longer needed to use food as a drug. I learned a new way of eating, a new way of thinking, and a new way of believing. Don's personality was rebuilt as it talks about in appendix two of the big book. I was given a second chance at life. Personality rebuilding is as you'll hear as I go through much of what I'm talking about here in my approach to these steps. OA has carried me through many of life's challenges over the years, death, disease, divorce, disappointment, job loss, and now here in what I'm calling phase three of my life, I mentioned I'm about to be 80. But what I have now is chronic pain and disability, and it's not fixable, so it just is. I understood early in my program that holding on to recovery meant helping others find their recovery, step 12. Over the years, I've always been involved in service at the local, intergroup, region, and world service levels. But since retirement in 97, I've pretty much devoted my life to OA service. Now let's talk about four through nine. Um, I know it's six to nine we're talking about, but I can't talk about those without talking about four and five. As an atheist, my surrender in step three was a commitment to work the rest of the steps. In effect, my higher power was the steps, although I didn't quite understand it then. But I had that sponsor who kept saying, you don't need to understand it, Don, just do it. I identified my self-destructive foods in step one. Now in four and five, I need to identify the self-destructive thinking that leads to the feelings that because I have the disease leads to the first bite, which sets up the addiction cycle described in the doctor's opinion. As I said before, I fought this reality in the beginning, but you know, eventually I came to accept that if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. I was a duck. Food was the symptom. My thinking was the problem. The issue was between my ears and it was up to me to do something about it. And that was surrendering to the rest of the steps. The process for me was identifying the self-destructive traits in four and five. Defining the solutions in six and seven. And then start practicing the solutions with God's help as I understood him for me. My life is a partnership with God. I'm in charge of actions, but God's in charge of results. He'll give me the strength and the courage to practice the new ways of thinking and behaving until I become a new me, free from the bondage of my food addiction. In four and five, I studied the long list of self-destructive traits mentioned in the big book and the AA 12 and 12. Those were the only things available to me then. I counted 27 or so at that time, and that was my fourth step. Let me give you a few examples of my own defects and then talk about what I did with them in step six and seven. So self-centeredness. I imposed expectations, shoulds and oughts on people. I wrote the script in my head for the way things ought to be for you and for me. If others would simply think and behave as I know they should, then I would be happy and they would be happy. The truth of course is that since no one follows my script, I was always unhappy. Blaming, self-pity. It's all their fault. I have the wrong spouse, the wrong parents, the wrong kids, the wrong education, and the wrong job. Poor me, poor me, poor me. Blaming was really very useful and that it kept me from looking at my part in things. Fear, fear of what might happen, fear of conflict, fear of criticism, of failure, of not good enough, of being old, poor, sick, and alone. Phoniness, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't like me. Therefore, I was constantly pretending to be what I thought would make you like me. Perfectionism, Setting standards for myself, impossible to meet. Thereby dooming myself to always feeling less than or a failure. Perfectionism is, of course, driven by fear. One of the so-called stepchildren of fear. Pride. Afraid to ask for help because I might look weak. Afraid to show you who I really am. Afraid to open myself. Afraid to become vulnerable. Always guarded. Some other examples of wrong thinking that came from my childhood. My worth is dependent upon what others think of me. Not true. I need everyone's approval to be okay. Not true. Self-sufficiency is a virtue. Asking for help is weakness. Not true. I am a prisoner of my culture. I can't change. Totally not true. In six and seven, I'm going to start replacing my self-destructive thinking and acting with healthy and productive thinking and acting. This is the core of my recovery. This personality transformation that I talked about as defined in appendix two, a personality transformation, a new life. My job in six and seven in my experience and the way I still do it today is to identify and start practicing the new thinking and acting. I've come to believe that I act my way into right thinking, not think my way into right acting. There is no magic wand that I can see that's going to touch me and transform me. I see this as a cooperative venture with my higher power. He'll help, but I must do the footwork and show that I'm truly willing to work at becoming all that he intends me to be. So we're partners. Here are some real examples of my personal part in six and seven, as I practice it. Controlling expectations. Okay. Practice letting go of expectations on others. Stop imposing shoulds and nots on them. Stop writing scripts in my head for how things are supposed to go. Practice tolerance, practice, live and let live. Accept what is. Work on changing what can be changed. Mostly me, of course and accepting what cannot be changed. Accept my human limitations and others limitations. I'm not in charge, I'm not God. I can't control others, but I can control my reaction to others. Blaming, practice taking responsibility for myself and my actions past and present. How I feel is up to me. How I feel is up to me really hard for me to understand, but it's true. I am not a prisoner of what they think or do. I'm not a prisoner of my past. So recovery is not dependent upon my past or on others, but on my relationship to myself and to God. It's not what happens, but how I react to what happens. Guardedness, hiding out, false pride, practice letting people in. Let them know how I really think and feel. Practice making myself a little vulnerable. Phoniness, practice being who I am and think rather than being what I think will get me approval or applause or keep me out of conflict. Anger and resentment, practice acceptance of what is. What is, is. Practice forgiveness of myself and others practice live and let live. Remember that resentment is poison to me. Fear in general, practice faith even if I'm only acting as if sometimes, practice faith in a higher power and eventually faith will displace fear. That is my experience. Cultivate people, places and things that nurture my soul and build my faith. Fear of failure, practice courage, practice doing it anyway Practice just doing it. Fears vanish as I do things I'm afraid to do. Exces- excessive concern about what others think of me. Well, practice knowing that my worth is based upon what I think of me, not what others think of me. Practice feeling that God loves me unconditionally. Do things in my life that allow me to respect myself. Accept that disagreement does not equal personal rejection. Perfectionism, believe that I'm not a mistake because I make a mistake. Believe that because I'm human, I cannot do everything perfectly, that I will make mistakes, that I'll do some things well, some things okay, and some things not so well. So accept my humanness and my fallibility. Practice balance, practice accepting average as okay. Another tough one for a perfectionist, except accepting average is okay. What about the willingness to change step six talks about my approach is to ask, what are the implications of the new behaviors or the new thinking? What are the risks? Are they worth it? Can I face and deal with what might happen if, for example, I start speaking up at work or I start telling my spouse how I really feel? Those are real examples from my own history. So to summarize my six and seven, I identify my solutions to each of my shortcomings, and then I begin practicing the new ways. God, with my cooperation and willingness, will eventually transform my character defects into assets. That is my experience. I show God I'm willing to change by practicing the new thinking and the new behaviors. you know the old Russian proverb says, Trust God to get you to shore, but keep rowing. Well, six and seven for me are a lifetime of rowing. I say the seven step prayer every morning. Step eight. I came out of step five with a preliminary list of of, uh, amends. Now it's time in eight to work with my sponsor to solidify that list and get ready to clean up my past. What is harm? The literature says that harm can be physical, emotional, spiritual, mental. It can include such things as lying, cheating, stealing, being irresponsible, being critical, dominating, uh, or selfish. It also reminds me that we're talking about actual harm here, not simply thinking bad things. I'm also reminded that the process includes everyone I've hurt even though they may have hurt me. I also need to remember that I'm not doing this to make others feel better. I'm cleaning up my side of the street to free me from the bondage of the past. The second part of step eight after I've made the list is developing the willingness. If I've laid a good foundation in steps one to seven, which I I think I did, it may not be a problem for you. It was not a problem for me, it is a problem for others. But the OA 12 and 12 on page 62 notes that I can be willing to do something even if I don't want to. And my old sponsor must have written that. I don't care if you're afraid to do it. Do it anyway. Part of willingness comes from forgiveness. Before I'm truly ready to sincerely make amends for the hurts that I've inflicted on someone, I need to forgive those to whom I'm preparing to make amends for the hurts they may have inflicted on me. I can't make amends to someone who I'm still holding a grudge against. They'll sense my feelings. It won't do me any good to say I'm sorry and walk away still angry. I can't afford to hang on to resentments. I'm an addict. Resentments are poison to me. Forgiveness is in fact healing. The OA 12 and 12 on page 60 in step 8 reminds me what forgiveness is not, something important to me. Quoting here, forgiveness is not forgetting or pretending something didn't happen. We acknowledge that we were harmed, but we need to let go of the pain in order to move forward with our recovery. Secondly, you have
2: five minutes.
1: Thank you. Forgiveness is not excusing. A wrong was, in fact, committed. Three, forgiveness is not giving permission for the hurtful behavior to continue or saying the behavior in the past was okay. And lastly, forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. That is a separate decision. There are three specific suggestions in the literature on forgiveness. Uh, the two in the big book on 50, page 57, that's the sick person prayer. And page 552, the pray for those you resent prayer. And the process in the OA 12 and 12 on page 60 and 61, which outlines a writing exercise to draw a box around the resentment. All, all of these have been effective for me. And lastly, step nine. Step nine for me was accepting responsibility for myself, for what I had done, and learning to accept responsibility for what I do now. I am accountable. Let me review three or four points from the OA 12 and 12 and then tell you briefly about my own amends. The 12 and 12 on 64 describes uh, the ninth as a four step process. Quote, in making amends, it says, we'll need to one, acknowledge the specific harm we've done, apologize, make appropriate restitution, and lastly, change our behavior toward them in the future. On 64, it also reminds me that the person to whom we're making amends doesn't necessarily owe me forgiveness. Again, quoting, we must let go of any expectations. They have the right to hold grudges. They had, they don't owe us forgiveness and we don't need it. We don't need it to complete step nine. On page 65, we're reminded that we're there to clear off our side of the street, not take their inventory. Again, quoting, We should avoid mention of things they may have done to provoke us. Having forgiven these people in step eight, we now stick to the things we did to cause them harm. Very often, certainly in my own case, the right approach was living amends. Uh, Again, quoting from 65, we complete our amends for our wrongful actions of the past by changing our actions in the future. This is especially important when making amends to ourselves and those people close to us whom we repeatedly harmed by our patterns of behavior. The words we say to them will not be nearly so important as how we act toward them from now on. We also reminded on page 79 that we make direct amends for our actions rather than for our feelings. We don't go to someone and say, I'm sorry I've disliked you all these years. That's inappropriate and will only inflict pain. One last point from my experience on eight, you and your sponsor have agreed in step eight who you'll make amends to. Now write the script and review it with your sponsor. Never, never, never do eight and nine without an experienced sponsor. You can end up doing more harm than good. Step nine for me enabled me to fully let, step nine, eight and nine uh, enabled me to fully let go of yesterday the past and live in today. The guilt and the shame about the past are all gone. I began my own ninth step in 82 about nine months into the program when I was 41. Mine was not a long list. I was a cash register, honest person all my life, a people pleaser, a seeker of, or a seeker of strokes, which meant going to any length to avoid hurting people. I was a wonderful practitioner of conflict avoidance. So I didn't hurt a lot of people with overt actions. Mostly, I only hurt those closest to me. That included amends to myself, to my parents, to my two children, to my employer, to my wife and to three others. What about amends to me? By abstaining and living the design for living laid out in the steps, traditions, tools, and slogans, I am making living amends to myself for all the damage that I did to myself. What resulted from this ninth step process of cleaning up, clearing up, and taking full responsibility for my actions was freedom, as the big book promises, as the OA 12 and 12, as all 12-step programs promise. Freedom from the past, freedom to move on and live my life, freedom to no longer need to use food as a drug. I like being free. And I'm going to continue doing whatever I need to do to hold on to it. But of course, that's the subject of the next workshop, 10, 11, and 12. So thanks for listening. I'll close there.
0: Perfect timing, Don.
1: All right. So we're going to open up for a Q&A now. We're now open the floor for a Q&A session. Uh, The chat is open. Please type your questions in there. The question and answer moderator will read out the questions to uh, Tara and myself, and we will give our brief answers, I think no more than three minutes. Um, And so we are open for questions and answers.
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you both for your sharing. The first question kind of mentioned Don. I I don't know if Tara might have an answer as well. Uh, The question says Don said he was an atheist, but it now seems he is not. Is there recovery for atheists in OA?
1: Totally, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, My vision of higher power now, I have about 25 synonyms that I use for higher power, but it doesn't make any difference. The main thing that I know is that I'm not God and I'm not in charge. And that I have to do my part, but there seems to be something deep inside, as the big book says, it's ultimately deep within ourselves that we find something that is there to help give me some strength, to give me courage, and sometimes give me answers. So back to my partnership thing. It's a partnership with this thing that I choose to call God now, but it could be called a lot of other things, higher power, higher self, intuition, soul whatever makes no difference. It's just important that I gave up trying to run the world. I am not in charge. I can't do it by myself.
0: Tara, did you have anything to say?
2: Sure. I, I was not an atheist coming into the rooms. Perhaps I was agnostic, but I do know fellows uh, in both fellowships who call themselves atheists, and they are all living the 12-step recovery way of life, and they have all had that obsession removed, and uh, whether or not they are using the steps themselves or the fellowship itself, um, but very similar to Don's response, so long as they do not put themselves as the one in charge, they have found recovery.
0: Great, thank you both. Um, uh, this is to both of you. Was there an amends you were afraid to make?
2: Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Tara. <laughs> yes, there was, and there, and this one in particular, I had put off for couple of years quite honestly I because I was afraid to make it I um and by chance I had been working at a restaurant uh about 90 miles east of where I live now and I was a hostess at that restaurant and one evening this person truly just walked right in front of me at she She was coming to eat at the restaurant that I was working at. And there was no way or reason for us to be in that same spot at the same time. Um, And she had a very long wait for her table because it was a, a beach town and high season. And so because I had become willing in my eighth step to make this amends, I prayed for the strength. And while she was waiting... Uh, I asked if we could talk and I was able to make the amends to her, but it took me a number of years in program to find the courage to do it because I was afraid. Um, But, you know, God presents opportunities in my view. (laughs) Uh, Opportunities will continue to present themselves. And it's, you know, like uh, the idea of the partnership, it's then up to me to, to take the action and to, to do it but um, you know there's been a lot of peace since I did so um,
1: <clears throat> I don't know if afraid is the right word uh, nervous or well it was to my kids uh, I had teenage kids at the time and um, they had suffered from my stuff uh, for a number of years and these obviously were had to be living amends as I, as i mentioned and so what i knew is that i wasn't going to be able to sit down and give them any bullshit but i had to talk about the things that i regretted and i was sorry for and i had to tell them specifically how i was going to attempt to change what i was going to do with them to them etc and i knew that meant I had to be totally honest and I had to mean it and I had to commit to do it. And so it was a little scary. I did it, of course, individually. Uh, One was four years older than the other. Um, There were tears all around, of course. And, um, but that was the beginning. This was a lot of years ago, obviously. That was the beginning of rebuilding a relationship with my own children, with my own children. That was a very, very big deal and it worked. And all these years later, I know it worked because they trust me with the grandkids and the grandkids call me up looking for advice and counsel like yesterday, for example. So it worked. And the ninth step was at the beginning of putting things back together. It was a very, very big deal. And, um, I think I've pretty much lived up to what I said I was going to do so hard.
0: Okay. Here's another question. Um, guilt from my past continues despite working the steps vigorously, what work would help to relieve me of this guilt?
1: As I, uh, as I said, I'll, I'll just say what I said before the, um, uh, Forgiveness of self, Uh, guilt is forgiveness of self, shame is a little bit different, or or anger at others, but guilt at at, uh, self, I just have to come to grips with the fact that I am, in fact, human, and I am a human being, and human beings make mistakes, and holding on to that is poison. It is doing me no good to hold on to that and screw up today. And live in that. It does me no good. So give it to God. God is willing to take whatever I'm willing to give. Forgive myself. Because if I can't forgive myself, maybe I'm saying I'm better than everybody else. And I'm not really a human being. I'm some kind of God, which is bullshit. (laughs) We are equal. We are just human beings. We make mistakes. So I had tremendous guilt about some childhood and teen stuff. When I sat in that fifth step and totally was honest with another man for the first time in my entire life, I was 41 years old, it went away. And so it it worked for me. Uh, I can't hold on to it. What I did, I did. But holding on to the pain only hurts me. And if, if I'm hurt and I've got it, then I'm affecting other people around me negatively. And that's not what God wants for me as far as I can see.
0: Okay. Thank you. Another question. What is the routine that you do to keep your emotional recovery clean?
1: Go ahead, Tara.
2: Sure. So uh, the routine comes a lot through uh, working a 10th step. So uh, it's in... And I'm not perfect in terms of a a an every night review, but certainly uh throughout the day when I can feel my emotions becoming very strong one way or another, I can spot check and check myself uh oftentimes I run through sort of the check box of my fourth step worksheets of uh you know. What part of self feels threatened right now? Uh, what is this impacting? And kind of run through that in my brain. Uh, typically, I can call it back to fear. And then I pray on it. Uh, sometimes I, I can't in the, in the moment think to do that. And so on those days where, when I really feel sort of off emotionally, I will do a written 10th step. Uh, and in doing that, I can then identify which defects of character I was living in or acting out on, uh, in that moment or for that day or over, you know, the course of a couple of days, uh, and, and then I turn that over to a sponsor and I pray for the strength and the willingness and the ability, uh, to do differently tomorrow, um, and very much like what Don had shared uh, during his talk on the steps, it's then how can I do something differently the next day? Or how can I, um, you know, what actions can I take that are counter to whatever defect it is that I've uh, uncovered? So it's a lot of, you know, reflection, being honest, sort of turning that over to somebody and then Prayer
1: and repeat I'll add on to that Beth um, I have a ver i have a, a process that I've been doing for a hundred years. It seems like it's I call it my daily disciplines or my daily treatment plan, and that's basically every day, every day, every day, ten and eleven every morning. there is the reading, there is the looking at all of these things that we've talked about when I say the seven step prayer in the morning. I always add at the end of it, you know, I say specifically, God, and here is my journal for this morning. And I wrote after the seven, specifically, God help me today to live in faith, acceptance, surrender, love and service. Um, I have in front of me every morning list of things that I'm looking at and what I look at depends upon what's going on in my life. But as you might have gathered from my, my share, there's always two lists in front of me. So this is a 10-step a, a inventory, you might call it, uh, that I do in, in one form or another every day. So it says, how am I doing living in faith rather than fear and worry and anxiety? How am I doing living in surrender rather than trying to arrange life to suit me? How am I doing living in forgiveness rather than animosity? How am I doing living in gratitude rather than self-pity and the poor me's? So this is always in front of me. And being who I am, (laughs) this analytical person, I actually have check marks on here. So that I kind of grade myself, I'm a little hard on myself here, uh, all the time as to where I am. Because I concluded long ago that I have to keep growing. That if I start, if I get complacent and don't start taking my spiritual and emotional temperature Every day I go backwards. It's like going up a a down, walking up a down escalator. I have to keep moving and doing and growing. And this is the way I have found it to be successful all these years is to just keep doing it. So it's, you know, it's essentially 10, 11, and 12 every day, every day. I keep looking at these things. I can't get complacent. That's why I call it my daily treatment plan. Uh, My propensity is to wake up uh, in a dark place. It very often happens. That's that's genetically, seems to be a genetic thing with me. All of my father's brothers, my father and my brother all suffered from deep depression. And I seem to have inherited that. So my entire life has been one of fighting this negative depressive type thing. It's in me. So I don't do drugs. So I use the program. (laughs) And this is the way I do it. I can wake up in a very, very dark space, go to that chair at 6.30 in the morning or so, and sit down and start doing my work. And I do 10th in the morning as opposed to uh, night, as the big book suggests. Uh, sit down, read, write, I do affirmations, I say the prayers, etc. And I go through this process every day. And I'm retired, of course, so I can take as much time as I want. So the minimum is say 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, Not everybody obviously can do that, but that's what I have to do every day. When somebody's asked me, how have you held on to recovery all those years? This is it, this is my daily treatment plan. I must do this every day in order to stay free. And I like free, thanks.
0: Okay, there are other great questions, but I think it might be time to end the meeting. We're gonna end by 3.30. No, this meeting lasts until quarter to four. Oh, sorry, I misread the schedule. I can ask more questions. Okay, can you please speak more on how to figure out if you make direct or living amends for patterns of behavior?
2: Sure, so uh, this is where it was very important for me to review this with my sponsor. Uh, because sometimes I thought that a direct amends was necessary. uh, But in reviewing the reason why, it would become clear that my motive might not have been uh, what the actual intent of an amends was. And so my sponsor would ask me that, or I would, you know, talk to her about that and say, you know, I, I really feel like I need to do this because I have to alleviate some sort of guilt that I'm holding on to. Or in the course of our conversation, that was what would become apparent to me. Um, and that is when my sponsor would say, Okay, well, you know, um we can't we can't do an amends at the expense of another person. And so in that case, to go and make a direct amend would be Uh, potentially harmful to that person. Or, you know, I had some uh, instances in my sex inventory where there were triangles. And so uh, to make a direct amend to uh, somebody like to the man would then potentially arouse further like harm and jealousy to the person's partner. And that's not okay either. Um, And so then that would become a living amends instead. Um, But again, that's why it's so important to do this for me with my sponsor, because um, it's very easy for me to rationalize or justify uh, for my own sake (laughs) uh, so that I can feel better right away. Uh, But really, the intention is for me to, to be better in the world and to be better in these relationships and with people. And so um, in reviewing it with her was, was the way that we together figured out uh, whether or not a direct or living amends was the best step forward in each case. Thank you.
1: Don? I'll comment on that a, a little bit, I guess. The, um, um, I mentioned that most of my amends were living amends because they were people with whom I had an ongoing relationship. Uh, there were some other people I made amends to, where it's direct amends to uh, for the harm that I had done to them. But there was no ongoing relationship. There was no reconciliation. As I think I meant, reconciliation is totally separate decision. There were some people I made amends to that I wanted nothing to do with because they were not people that I wanted to hang around with. So I just needed to clear up my side of the street. It was not going to be any further. Uh, dealings with them and that was that was a good thing but with my relatives my you know my parents my kids and so forth that was going to be ongoing relationship and I wanted to have a relationship for example my mother I didn't mention her I mentioned the kids but my mother I had been estranged from for almost 10 years I hadn't had anything to do with my mother for 10 years so the ninth step was pretty big deal there too Uh, there's a long story involved there, but uh, I needed to have an ongoing relationship with her because eventually I became responsible for this person. When my father died, I then had responsibility for my mother, who was mentally ill. Uh, um, For 19 years, I was a caregiver. Uh, So uh, that's a long story that involves... Anger and resentment and amends and anger and resentment and amends. It's never over. Things happen. We live life. Stuff happens. Okay. We clean it up again and we keep moving forward. I wish life were nice and easy and not messy. And all we had to do was these steps one time and then we became saints and everything was wonderful, but that's not reality, folks. (laughs) That's not the way it goes. So, um, That's all I have on that.
0: Great. That uh, leads into a a question that came in that says, uh, as you go through the steps as long timers, do you find your amends list change, your amends list changes?
1: I'll just give you a short answer. Um, What amends? If you're practicing these principles in all your affairs, Mostly amends don't come up. Discussions may come up and disagreements, but I learned to talk about things and disagree with things in a patient, tolerant, kind, loving, respectful way. And I haven't actually made amends for a very, very long time. End of comment.
2: I'll uh, I'll jump in just to say that, um, yes, my, my list has changed in that the people that I made that first pass at uh, back when I was when I went through the steps the first time, um, I've not had to make that amend again because in turning over the defects and continuing to live in the steps, I have changed. There have been moments where I slip back into old patterns and I live with my parents now and there are days when I you know, come upstairs and I have to amend how I'm behaving in the household. And some days I just do it and I don't say anything. And other days I've had to say, you know, um, I was inappropriate or that was not cool. And uh, I need to to move forward. Uh, And I will say that recently uh, in the last year, I made an amends to a sponsee uh, because, of a way that we were talking to one another and I had not been very tolerant and patient in my uh, approach with her. And the next day when we speak every day, when she called me, I started the conversation to say, I owe you an amends uh, for the way that I uh, spoke to you last night. And that helped build our trust in working with one another moving forward. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, The list changes in that I develop new relationships over time and I'm going to make mistakes in those relationships. And so for me, in order to keep them healthy and growing and keep people in my life today, I will eventually have to make an amend at some point. Um, And then like with those closest to me, you know, like they're just kind of going to always be on the list. (laughs) It's just a matter of how quickly I can... Recognize it and be honest and, and try better. Great, thanks. Uh, the next question, how
0: do we make amends to parents who have passed away?
1: Well, um, uh, in my case, both my parents were alive when I made parents to, when I made amends to them. but this comes up a lot with sponsees over the years. Uh, and write the letter, maybe go to the to the grave, have a talk with them, read the letter. People have done this in many different ways, but remember what we're doing is we're clearing up our side of the street, we're clearing up our conscience we're we're saying, "If you were here, this is what I would say to you and it accomplishes the same thing uh and I will say. While uh, I have been to my mother's grave uh, since she died uh, several years ago, and I found myself standing there saying, I'm sorry, (laughs) yet again. So uh, now where did that come from? (laughs) Sorry about that. But yes, it works. It makes no difference if they're in the ground or in the urn or whatever, we can still talk to them and clean it up.
0: Tara, did you have anything to add?
2: Uh, not really, no. I. Both of my parents are still alive but I have a sponsee that I work with in my other fellowship. Uh, her mom passed away uh, before she got sober and so part of our working together was to write the, the letter uh, and have our own way of of um reading it to honor uh her mother and that relationship and so uh we did it on the beach and uh my mom who works the 12 steps was able to make amends to her deceased parents by going to the grave with her sponsor reading the letter and like planting some flowers there so um it's all you know again you and your sponsor will find a way to to work it out in a way that's meaningful but it can certainly be done if they're not here physically uh to hear it
0: um uh so don you had used the word cash register honesty and somebody asked what is meant by that
1: an honesty in terms of dealing with other people i'm not going to cheat anybody out of money or Somebody gives me an extra five dollars change at the supermarket. I'm going to give them back the five dollars. That that kind of thing. So I did. Or uh, cheating in school. I did no cheating in school. None of that kind of stuff. That's what I mean by cash register honesty, which is quite different than talking to people and telling little white lies and manipulating things and all that. That's a different story.
0: Yeah.
2: Right.
0: Um, and then Tara. Somebody asked, can you please explain how you make amends to yourself?
2: Oh, yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, So first and foremost, I make amends to myself by staying abstinent, by continuing to come to meetings and working with my sponsor and working with my sponsees. So just, staying abstinent and staying in the program is the first way I make amends to myself because it's this new way of life. And by not picking up no matter what, I do not harm myself with the food the way that I used to. Um, In other ways, I've had to make amends to myself by not getting involved in certain unhealthy relationships or patterns in relationships. Um, Primarily, I mean, uh, with men and intimate relationships, I've had to identify uh, patterns in the past that have been unhealthy for me, but also in friendships uh, and not taking on a role or continuing on a role that in a dynamic that is unhealthy for me. Uh, And it's been a journey, but in terms of the forgiveness of self, um, I've had to work on that a lot. And so uh, my sponsor had me do uh, a lot of writing on that and then writing the letter to me, uh, thinking about who I was as a child and writing the letter, you know, to me as a little girl um, to take care of that, you know, little girl who's, who still lives inside of me. Um, and finally, you know, I think as I had mentioned, you know, during this quarantine period, uh, some of my old defects came up that I hadn't been living in for a very long time. I was, um, really overworking myself and had sort of eliminated any boundaries between like Time for me, time for others, time for my job. And so a big amend to myself is in establishing boundaries that put in that leave me the time to take care of me. So I had to reclaim some of like the time for myself uh, to implement 10 minutes of meditation at least every morning. Uh, time to talk to my sponsor and not just be a sponsor to my sponsees. Um, that has been a big way for me to make amends to myself um, by investing in me and not just giving, giving, giving all the time. So those are some of the the ways that I've been able to do that. It's still a work in process though, for sure.
0: Great, thank you. I think we're gonna close. I'll pass it to Karen or Don.
1: Um, Don't know if I have anything. We wish to thank everyone who attended this session. We will now close the meeting with the serenity prayer. Thank you all. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thanks everybody for coming.
0: Thank you all. Thanks everybody. Thanks Dawn, thanks Tara.